I don't know how many rainbows I have seen in my life, but uh, every time somebody said to me, look, a rainbow, I looked. How about you? Uh, it's a beautiful sight, and uh, beyond the striking colors, there's, of course, meaning. Judy Garland made famous Somewhere Over the Rainbow, a song covered by many others, including Hawaiian singer Israel Kamukovivi Ole, which I practiced. He's, his version is on my playlist. The uh, words, somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue, and the dreams that you dared to dream really do come true. Well, in our series through Genesis, we are in that portion of the worldwide flood, Noah's flood, and uh, coming to the end of that portion. And here is God's promise of the rainbow, but this is no children's story. It's no sentimental song. This is not all bright colors and happy times where dreams come true. This is a story of death and destruction, sin and salvation. The rainbow made its appearance after God wiped out the world by flood. Human violence was so great, human evil was so great that God started over. He saved one righteous man, Noah, his family, and animals. And they rode out this horrific storm in the enormous box that God instructed him to build. And floating on that dark, watery grave of earth for more than a year, where everything and everyone outside the ark died. 371 days later, the family disembarks, and Genesis 9, that's where we are now, Genesis 9, describes how life begins again. Now this chapter raises some intriguing questions, such as, should we use birth control? Should we care about the environment? Should we be vegetarian? Should we drink alcohol? Should we favor capital punishment? Should we refuse blood transfusion? Should we fear seeing our parents naked? All of these questions and more are at least alluded to in chapter 9, and we're not going to get through all of chapter 9 this morning or get to all those questions. Uh, some of them we won't bother to answer because the real issues, uh, th these questions don't bear on the most important part of this passage. But you need to understand, this is not a little kid story, but this is a story that all of us need from God's Word. Chapter 9 begins this way. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. If that sounds familiar, it's because that's what God called the first human couple to do. Get busy and multiply. And the human family would be repopulated by these three sons and their wives. God started again. And this was a second chance, a new beginning. And with this rebirth of the human family into the world, God makes some significant statements about our relationships to the world, to each other, and to him. To quote uh, one theologian, and uh, let me put it this way, God calls us into a life of three great relationships with the earth, with all the people of the earth, and with the Lord of the earth. And in fact, that is our outline that we will use this morning as we go through the first 17 verses of chapter 9. Uh, I'm not making this up. This is coming directly from Scripture. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that I preach with an open Bible and refer to the Bible, because that's where this comes from. 
And if uh, you want to check it out and certainly check uh, whether what I'm saying is accurate, then you search the scriptures and see. And uh, wherever I'm not consistent with the scriptures, you certainly have a valid point. But please understand that this is not my idea. This is God's idea as expressed in scripture. And that's why I preach the way I do. So let's deal with these three relationships. First of all, a relationship with the earth. And what is that? It is stewardship. It's stewardship. That's the relationship God calls us to. Beginning, continuing with verse 2. The fear and dread of you shall fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that move on the, all the ground and, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Now while the mission to fill the earth is the same as the garden the tone is very different. In the beginning, God looked at all he had made and said it was very good. And now the tone is fear and dread. The word fear, the Hebrew word is morah, and it's used of godly reverence. It's the kind of respect that you give to God, that kind of fear. The word dread refers to, refers to terror and panic. So you see the difference, whereas Adam and Eve was the kind ruler in control of animals, now terror becomes part of the equation. After the flood, animals run away or they attack. Uh, so the change in how animals view humans is fear, and the change in how humans view animals is food. Big difference. So vegetarian man becomes carnivore man. There is domination over creation. And there's also this, next verse. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So understand that this is about valuing life, even the life of creatures. The ancient Christian teacher John Chrysostom said that this instruction was to guard against cruelty to animals. And although they could now be used for food, animals were not to be slaughtered indiscriminately or without proper care. So you could not take a chunk out of a living animal to eat. That would be cruel, inhumane. Now, in addition, I want you to notice how God talks about the earth. And I'm just going to show you. This is the rest of the next 17 verses. Verse 9. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature. Verse 12. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature. Verse 13. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures. Verse 16, I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Verse 17, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. So the covenant is God's promise to save and rescue. And this promise is not only for Noah's family, but for all creatures and even the earth itself. It's clear here. You, creation suffered because of our sin. It experienced the judgment of the flood. And, and creation continues to suffer at our hands today. And we learn here that it's not only humans that God cares about. That his promise of preservation and care extends to all his creation. And God vows to preserve it. Humans have a far higher value, as we will see. But that doesn't mean creation is of no value. The earth and all that is in it speaks of God. He is committed to it, and he will rescue it from the effects of our sin. 
there for um, eight or so years when we lived in Pennsylvania. Anytime I had a day off during the summer or the fall, I would go fishing on the Potomac River. I had a little boat. My friend uh, Ken Quick, uh, a uh, seminary professor, he and I would go and float down the Potomac River for that day. And that was, in a very stressful time in life, that was so relaxing to me and to him. The music of the rushing water, the deer drinking along the bank, the hare and the coumarant, the egret stalking fish, the geese and ducks protecting their young, the hawks and eagles and vultures cruising the sky. There was the occasional refrigerator and shopping cart, but... (laughs) Thankfully... And I thought about this a lot, never found a dead body. There were some of those closer to Washington, D.C. that were found, but I did not find one and instead got to enjoy the trees and the rock cliffs and the thick vegetation and the catfish, bass, bluegill, pike, carp lurking under the water, the blue sky, the sunshine, the cloud formations. And I could worship. Because all creation speaks of God, doesn't it? As uh, Psalm 104 says, O Lord my God, how great you are! You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You place the world on its foundation. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas. You make the springs to provide water for all the animals. The birds sing among the branches of the trees. You cause grass to grow for the cattle. You cause plants to grow for people to use. Wine to make them glad. Sorry to the Baptists. Olive oil as lotion for their skin. My wife is always telling me I need to moisturize. There we go. Bread to give them strength. Oh, Lord, what a variety of things you have made. I will sing praise to you as long as I live. Every creature, every element of creation speaks of the Creator. And there are even more glorious days ahead because right now, the Bible tells us that the voice of creation is muted by sin. It's held captive in that way. It groans under the weight of pollution and destruction and mismanagement. That's Romans 8. And it talks about the day, Romans 8 does, when creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom. Right now, human sin causes our entire universe to live in frustration. Us too, but our entire universe... And all animate and inanimate objects lean forward with an intense anticipation of the final reveal when Christ shall come again. That's Romans 8. Psalm 19 says creation speaks of God's glory all day, every day, to all people in every language. A couple of hours from where we used to live in Pennsylvania is Polyface Farms. And a documentary was made about them a few years back. I have not watched it, so I'm not advocating it. But let me tell you about Polyface. Uh, over 60 years ago, the Soliton family purchased the most worn-out, eroded farm near Staunton, Virginia. And they went against all conventional wisdom in how to pasture and treat animals. And they based their approach on God's design for creation. And they say this, we're in the redemption business, healing the land, healing the food, healing the economy, and healing the culture, the culture. And that's just one example of how we can care for the earth as good stewards. And to quote Billy Graham, why should Christians be concerned about the environment? We know that God created the world and it belongs to him, not us. Because of this, we're only stewards of God's creation and we aren't to abuse or neglect it. 
When we fail to see the world as God's creation, we'll end up abusing it. He says, selfishness and greed take over, and we end up not caring about the environment or the problems we're creating for future generations, unquote. Now understand, being a steward of the earth is not the church's main mission, not in any way. No, our mission is to make disciples, to preach Jesus. But God's people should care about the earth. That's the first great relationship here. Here's the second relationship that God calls us to, a one with all the people of the earth, and that is a relationship of justice. Why? Because human care is most important. It's more important than care for the earth. And so look at this text as we continue. Verse 5, Genesis 9. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It values human life. And let me put it in these words, that animal blood can be spilled but not consumed. Human blood must not even be spilled. All life is God's, but especially human life, for we are made in his image. Life is sacred. It's so precious that murderers receive the death penalty. Scholar Robert Alter says that this ban on murder is an indication of the, of the huge problem that existed before the flood. That violence and murder were one of the great reasons God brought judgment on humanity. And now he affirms the preciousness of human life once again. You see, every individual person bears the dignity of the maker. Good or bad, beautiful or ugly, rich or old, poor, young, old, weak, strong, religious, non-religious, Christian, Muslim, black, white, male, female, every single being is in the image of God. And it's so precious that the verse we just read, what did it say? That even an animal that kills a human must be put down. That's God's attitude toward human life. The Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th, uh, I mean, Hamas is a terrorist organization, uh, certainly separate from Palestinian life. There are, there are many, many Palestinian Christians. I know some. But Hamas is a terrorist organization. About 1,400 were killed in that attack. And what made that so wrong? It was, it was an attack on civilians. Civilians were targeted. Now, and what results is a war. War is always regrettable. Uh, and, and in war, one of the tragedies of war is that there are always innocents killed, usually on both sides. But when civilians are targeted, that's a different thing. And that's why it was responded to in that way. And what do we do? Well, we pray. And I think in this case, we pray for swift defeat of Hamas, uh, swift resolution to this. We pray for salvation on both sides. We pray for protection and comfort to those who are suffering on all sides. But, uh, understanding how difficult violence is and our understanding of how God values people should change significantly how we deal with people and how we view human life. And by the way, this clearly, survival of the fittest is wrong. Uh, you look at Proverbs 29, 7. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. You see, in God's economy, 
The weak and helpless are equally as valuable as the strong and vigorous. As God's people, we show that by caring for those who are in need. They're valuable because they are image bearers. Noah Chomsky is a philosopher and professor emeritus at MIT. And uh, he was asked about his stance on pornography. And he said this, Pornography is the humiliation and degradation of women. It is disgraceful. Women are degraded as vulgar sex objects, and that's not what human beings are. That's a pretty significant statement. Here is a non-religious man who bases his argument on human dignity and justice. And so those of us who take the Bible seriously, those of us who are followers of Jesus should be saying that same thing with conviction. Uh, And that is that our relationship with people is one of justice. But what does that person across you, from you, next to you, deserve? Because the image of God is in them. This should influence our views on legal immigration, on poverty, on human rights, on child abuse, on discrimination, and a host of issues. The fact that we are created in God's image must shape how we treat everyone. It means that we care about justice. Here's the third relationship. It's one with God. Grace. Grace. You see, more important than a relationship with the earth, more important than a relationship with all the people of the earth, is the relationship with the Lord of the earth. Because you, you need this third relationship or the others won't work. Stewardship and justice are not enough. Now look at the promise God makes with Noah, verse 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is a promise Noah doesn't have to do anything to deserve. This is all God. And even the animals benefit. And here's how God marked that promise. Verse 13, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And by the way, the word translated rainbow here is the one that is used for the weapon. A bow with arrows. It's a weapon. It's as if God waged war against the sinfulness of earth with the flood, and now he promises to hang up his war bow. The bow isn't even aimed at us anymore. If the rainbow was a giant smiley face, you know, the other way, it would also mean that the arrows were pointed directly at us. But God makes this sign that he will now withhold his judgment. And so the rainbow becomes a symbol of salvation, a symbol of the good news that God offers grace to his people. Uh, And the rainbow reminds God, not because God forgets, but that he will take action for his people. Uh, My favorite golf shot when I used to play golf was the mulligan. It was my best shot. (laughs) So why didn't God just take a mulligan and start over completely? Why save this one family and these representative animals? Well, if he didn't, how could we trust God not to wipe us out a lot again? How could we trust God? God always preserves a remnant. Throughout Scripture, he saves his people. Uh, And no matter how small that group is, he says, now this rainbow, this is the sign of the promise. God has not stopped being a God of wrath. He's aimed his bow at someone else. As Charles Spurgeon once wrote, the rainbow is turned upward not to shoot arrows down on us. It is pointing up into the heart of heaven. See, at the cross, the storm of God's judgment fell on the perfect sacrifice The arrow of God's wrath went into Jesus. And the Bible says that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. 
So in other words, apart from Jesus, you're going to pay for the wrath of sin in, in yourself one day. Unless you're in Christ, you're going to experience God's wrath. But let me tell you this. The glory of the gospel is that Jesus got the storm so we could get the rainbow. He got the storm of wrath so we could get the rainbow. That's grace. Through Jesus, we can have a personal, intimate relationship with the Creator based on grace. The real rainbow is Jesus. By his death and resurrection, he made it possible for all to, to find shelter in him, to escape God's judgment. And the Bible declares that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And by the way, the use of the rainbow as a symbol of human pride defies God's grace offered in Christ. Now think about what a rainbow is. It appears opposite the sun. As sunlight refracts and reflects off drops of rain. Think about that, because really it is in life's darkest storms that you will most clearly see God's grace. You see, it's only with the backdrop of that terrible storm that you can really appreciate grace. It's when we're confronted with our sin and with our weakness and our need and our disease that we can best appreciate the beauty and the light of God. And for those of you who are experiencing storm clouds and rainfall and gale force winds, let me remind you that there is grace in the middle of the storm because of Jesus. The Bible reveals a God of second chances, one who will not throw you away, one who won't abandon you because you failed. Come to him and you will find grace to help you in your time of need. And the rainbow is a sign of that, is the color of promise. And then verse 16, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Yes. So this signals the three relationships we must have. Stewardship over the earth, justice for all the people of the earth, and grace from God, the Lord of the earth. You see, this chapter emphasizes that life is precious to God. That's true of all life on earth, including animals. As lovers of God, we need to care about earth's creatures. Now, even if your biggest concern is that some of the animals at least be delicious, uh, that should be done in the best way possible. Not one animal is more important than any human but they still matter. Stewardship over the earth. Even more so, we must care about all human life. And that's true whether that life is in the womb or in a refugee camp, whether it's a prison inmate or a Hollywood celebrity, or both. Whether it's a well-dressed business person or an impoverished single parent. Whether it's a self-absorbed social media influencer or someone confused about their gender. It's so true that even a drunken father deserves respectful treatment. That's the next part of the Noah story that, by God's grace, we'll get to next week in the rest of chapter 9. Because the rest of chapter 9 deals with an inebriated parent and sexual sin. And all of this underscores the preciousness of human life. And that includes the impoverished, the diseased, the depraved, the addicted, and the unlovely. There is dignity in us, for we are made in the image of our Creator. Justice for people. And since all life is precious to God, that means your life is precious. You matter. Cling to the promise that God will never abandon His people. He has moved heaven and earth to make a way for you through Christ. 
And that is the greatest proof that life matters. Life is precious. And we have a God who has given his all that you might have life through his son, a relationship of grace. See, because of Jesus, in every storm you face, God's grace is enough. The book God is Good contains some of Ethel Hare's story. See, two months after radical cancer surgery, doctors discovered that the cancer had spread, and a friend asked Ethel, how do you feel about God now? And Ethel responded, God has been preparing me for this moment. He's made himself increasingly real and precious to me. He's given me joy such as I've never known before, even amidst the tears. She says, no matter how good my genes are, how well I take care of myself, God will lead me on whatever journey he chooses and will never leave me for a moment of that journey. No matter what the diagnosis or the prognosis, God is good. Well, along with Ethel, I want to affirm the goodness of God today. The God who values all life, including the creatures of the earth, every individual person, and showers his grace upon you. See, hope is not somewhere over the rainbow where bluebirds fly. Hope is in the true rainbow, Jesus Christ. The ultimate sign that God is good and all life is precious to him. And if you're experiencing pain, disappointment, depression, fear, loss today, and life is turbulent for you today, let me remind you that this is not God's wrath. All the Father's wrath fell on Jesus at the cross. And if your trust is in him, you will not experience his wrath. But you will know his grace in the middle of the storm. That's the rainbow. That's the riches of God's grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Would you stand with me? Let's sing through many dangers, toils, and snares. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace, tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever. Amen.